the book of 2 Timothy this morning, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and I've already been blessed uh, by what God has done uh, in the service this morning, and already uh, the, the music has just reminded us of who we have in Christ and of our salvation. And if you're saved this morning, you ought to have already been blessed by the reminder of what salvation is and who is our salvation. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, oh, God's given you an opportunity today uh, to turn to Christ and what Christ did on Calvary. And I trust that you'll make that decision this morning. Second Timothy chapter number 1, <coughs> I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Uh, for our text this morning, and I'm looking forward to what God has for us in uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This morning, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, but I want to draw your attention uh, to uh, verse number 8 in the last phrase of the verse. I'll read the entire verse again. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. That's the top of my message this morning, the gospel according to the power of God. Father, I pray this morning that you would use your word to help us. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts this morning. Father, you, you know who is saved this morning. You know who's lost. You know who is born again, who is not. You know who needs to put their faith and trust in Christ today uh, before the hour is too late. And Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would bring uh, one who is lost under conviction this morning. Uh, Father, the message of salvation is one that should make a lost person uncomfortable, but with hope, the fact that they can know for certain their sins have been forgiven because of what your son did for us on Calvary. And Father, to the saved this morning, those who've already put our faith and trust in Christ, may today be a reminder of what we have in our salvation, what we need to uh, rejoice in and what we need to do now that we've received our salvation. And Father, I pray that you would just bless the hour we have this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, in this second epistle, this second letter. And he begins the letter with some wonderful, wonderful reminders, and we see some of them in verses 7 through 10, which is our text this morning. We take that phrase, the gospel according to the power of God, this morning, I want to give attention to that phrase, the gospel according to the power of God. I want to remind you this morning, very quickly by way of introduction, I'll do in just a moment what the gospel is. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that Paul writes about, the gospel that has redeemed us, it's, it's not, a, not, not, not a man-made theory, and it is the gospel according to the power of God. 
If you're saved this morning, you are saved by the power of God. Not by your own power, not by the power of another. The gospel that saves is by the power of God. Let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're lost in your sins, you've yet to put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you would say, my sins are too great or my sins are too many. How can I be free of my sins? Let me just sum it up for you and then I'll explain a little bit better in a few moments. It's the power of God. Because believe it or not, you are in the midst of sinners just like you are. What's the difference? They've been saved by the gospel according to the power of God. As we look at that phrase and we look at the word the gospel, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only message whereby man can be saved. There is a lot of quote-unquote gospels out there, but there is but one that saves sinners. There is but one that changes man's eternity. There is but one, an almighty and holy and righteous God, accepts as payment for the sins of man, and that is the gospel according to the power of God. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that only man can be redeemed when they put their faith and trust in what the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and Christ has conquered death and hell, paying for our sins. But I want you to notice in verse number 8, and we're going to look at this passage of Scripture pretty closely this morning. But Paul writes to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That speaks out to me, that gets my attention. The testimony of our Lord. My Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you thought about his testimony? Have you thought about his record this morning? This morning I can say that I'm saved and I do have a testimony of salvation, but I'm saved because of the testimony of our Lord. What is his testimony? I can really sum it up, and I must sum it up when I talk about the Lord Jesus or we would be here all day. Some of you think we're here all day anyway, but be here all day and all afternoon and all evening, all into the morning speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can sum up the testimony of the, of the Lord in one word, and that's the word resurrection. Amen. Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary. Man didn't take it from him. Right. Man didn't kill our Lord. Jesus gave his life for you and I. Though that grave could not hold him. Because Jesus came forth with power over death, power over hell, holding the keys of death and hell. Uh, There's been one but conquered death, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his testimony. But then Paul also writes, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And by the way, let me just say, I am saved, born again, redeemed by what Christ did, by faith in Christ, and I'm not ashamed of it. I like being saved. I like being forgiven. I would rather be forgiven than lost in my sins. And quite frankly, you and I as a Christian this morning, we must hear the words of Paul when he writes, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. My Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ, and I make no apologies for it, and I'm not ashamed of it. But he also says, nor of me the prisoner. Testimony of our Lord, nor of me the prisoner. What is Paul's testimony? 
Paul had a testimony of transformation from Saul, the murderer. Saul, the Christian killer. From that man to Paul, the apostle. Now, there's not a seven-step program that can take a murderer and make him an apostle of Christ. There's not a program, there's not a self, there's not a best-selling book in this world that will take a man lost in his sins, a persecutor of God's people, clean him up, change him from the inside, redeem him, be born again, have his sins wiped away in an instant. There's not a, there's not a program, there's not a religion in the world that will do that, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ that changes a man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms. And Paul is writing to Timothy about the gospel according to the power of God. And he says, let me remind you and don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. How much power does he have? Death could not hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. That's the power of our Lord. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the power of the testimony of, uh, of my testimony. Don't be ashamed of that either. What was his testimony? Timothy was very well aware of it, as was everybody in that day. A man who killed Christians is now preaching the same message that which he used to attempt to silence. Friend, you and I, we ought to be quick to share the testimony of our Lord, but we also ought to be quick to share with man how Christ has changed us. This is a great church. If you're looking for a church in the Jacksonville area, let me just say, this is the church. Say, well, we're visiting around. Don't waste your time. If you want a Bible-believing, you want, you, want you want a church that will pray for you, you want a church that will help you, you want a church that will be there for you, this is it. But this church can't do for you what Christ will do for you. I look around, and if we had time this morning, and one Sunday I'm going to do this, but we just start, start on one side and, I'm not going to tell you which one because you'd skip from one side and go around and have people share their testimony of what Christ did to them, how Christ changed them, what they were when Christ found them, what he's done in their life and how he made them a new man and he gave them a new marriage and a new home and a new family and what Christ did in their life when they believed on him for salvation, they gave that testimony. We would be reminded that it is Christ that can transform and does transform. Friend, if you're here this morning, you don't like what you are, maybe you ought to search your soul and try and go back to a place of whether or not you've ever put your faith and trust in Christ. And let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ can change you. The Lord Jesus Christ is through him. We have forgiveness. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. It is his resurrection. Don't be ashamed of my testimony of how I was transformed. That's a good picture of the gospel according to the power of God. But I want to use this passage this morning, and I want to get a little more specific. And I believe this will be a help and encouragement to all of us. And if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to listen very, very carefully to me. We think of the gospel according to the power of God. We think, number one, of God's provision. Look at me at verse number 10. We see who he's referencing when he says, but is now made manifest. He's, we see at the end of verse 9, he is referencing Christ Jesus. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven, came to this earth, 
lived a sinless life, went to Calvary, on Calvary took upon him the sins of all mankind, gave his life for man. Three days later, after conquering death and hell, he rose victoriously from that grave. It is because of Christ we have a Savior. It is what he did. Now I must remind you the gospel according to the power of God is God's provision. Paul writes to Timothy, says he's made manifest by the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament prophet preached and prophesied of his coming when he left heaven. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When God sent his Son... He was manifest in this world. How do we know this? The book of John chapter 1 tells us in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul was an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was here. He was made manifest. God's gift to us was made manifest. His provision for salvation. Friend, this morning... You ought to be grateful. We ought to be very grateful. We don't have to wonder about can we be saved. We don't have to wonder about how we can be saved. We don't have to look for another. The Lord Jesus Christ was provided for you and I as our sin payment. I have a Savior this morning. His name is Jesus Christ. We have the power. What is the gospel according to the power of God? God's provision. He provided Christ. He provided him as our payment. But we also see God's plan in verse number 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Notice what the Bible says here. Who hath saved us. This, then, this again points back to his testimony. If you're saved this morning, it's because Jesus saved you. There's no holy man that can save you. There's no holy man, quote unquote holy man, that can forgive you of your sins. A sinner cannot pave a way for another sinner, but only the perfect Son of God can do that. Who hath saved us. Now notice what he says, and with that salvation... He says, not according to our works. See, man generally has a problem. Man generally believes that he can do something about his lost condition. Maybe you came in this morning and you're wondering, what in the world do you have in common with everybody else here? I'm going to tell you what you have in common. You're a sinner just like everybody else here. No exceptions. None. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we find with God's plan, he says, who has saved us not according to our works. You can not change your lost condition on your own. Well, if I do enough good works and they outweigh the bad works, good luck with that. Who decides if the good works outweigh the bad works? You? 
Um, that's not going to work. It is not according to our works, but how is it? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given us. How many of you are saved this morning? The gift of God, which is eternal life. You know what? You and I can't pat ourselves on the back because we're saved, because you didn't earn your own salvation. You didn't provide your own salvation. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, well, Pastor, how did everybody get their salvation? It was a gift. Well, what did, what did, what did everybody do to get that salvation? Oh, it's by grace, meaning we didn't deserve it. But by the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath saved us, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. I reminded Ephesians 2, 8, which says, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sadly, there's going to be a lot of people when they take this, their last breath in this eternity, they're going to, they have a hope so. They hope they're going to have done enough to get to heaven. I'm afraid they're going to wake up in eternity and be in that horrible place called hell because it's something they tried to do. So, Pastor, do you believe hell will, there's sincere people? Absolutely. Sincerity doesn't save anybody. Sincerity doesn't get you any closer. Only Christ grants forgiveness of sins. Only Christ gives us access. That is God's plan. Say, it's, it's, God has created us. God is the Holy One. God is the one we have offended. Therefore, we must follow God's plan in order to be reconciled back to God. Just makes sense, doesn't it? And His plan means that there's nothing that we can do of our own accord, but according to per His purpose and grace. This morning, you raise your hand just, if you raise your hand just a moment, giving testimony of salvation, let me remind you this morning, it's by the, the unmerited favors, by the grace of God that you're saved. When God saves us, He removes guilt from us. He removes uh, the, 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 the payment for our sins from us. And He does a work inside of us. And he, he literally changes our appetites from the inside out. And He cleans us up and He puts us on a new path, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. And, and he, he does all those things for us. But sometimes, because we get further and further removed from what we were, we forget that it had nothing to do with us but by the grace of God. Maybe you hear this morning say, oh, I wasn't born into a Christian home. I wasn't born into a pastor's home. I, let me tell you, I was born into, to, to, you don't want to hear everything that has taken place in my home. A friend, it doesn't matter what home you were born in, we all are born again the same way, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. Then I notice number three. The gospel, according to the power of God, I want to, Spend a moment and focus on God's power. Look at me again in verse number 10, and I hope you enjoy this point as much as I already have today. I'm going to enjoy it again. But look at verse 10. But is now made manifest, but the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now these next four words ought to get your attention. Who hath abolished death? That word abolish simply means done away with. Maybe you hear this morning say, hold up. 
How has he abolished death? Because people are still dying. Well, it depends on how you look at death. Who hath abolished death? He has broken the power of death over us. You could cite a number of polls and what is the thing, the, the thing that the majority of people are afraid of and no matter what poll it is, at the top of that list, no matter what the demographic of the people is, the poll is going to have at the top the word death. They're afraid of dying or they're afraid of what comes the unknown after death. I remind you that the, the, the gospel according to the power of God, Christ hath abolished death. Now let me just say very quickly, man fears death. And friend, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you better fear death. Because of what comes after death. It comes accountability. It becomes that day of reckoning to give an account of what we've done to offend a holy God. But I want to draw your attention back to verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And then in verse number 10, we're reminded that He has abolished death. Child of God, we should not, as a Christian, we should not fear anything. We do. But we were reminded in verse number 7, God has not given us that fear. Whatever you're afraid of this morning, that fear does not come from God. Because God says, I, I have not given us the spirit of fear in verse 7, but of power. You know that, all, that, that applies to death? The Christian should not fear death. Why? Christ has abolished it. What does that mean? He's broken the power of death over us. A, a preacher of a couple of centuries ago said it like, like this. Death now of an enemy has become a friend. It is the gate by which we pass out of a troublesome, vexation, vexatious, sinful world into a world a of perfect of, peace a couple centuries ago said it like, like this. And the power death that now death had is broken of an enemy for death has does not triumph over those who believe the gospel. It is the gate they by which we pass over out of a it. troublesome vexation. Christian, it's a natural thing for us world. to have fears, but I'm reminded because of God's of power, he has broken like, the like power this. of death the power over us. Death. You may say, well, I know that those that have died, as do I, and if they're saved, for death, that death, not they don't feel the sting of that. They're on the other side. The gospel. It is the gate they by which we pass you and I, that's why we live our life according to the word of God, serving him and laying up treasures on the other side because death is just that gate is you will to go from this side to eternity. Well, I know that we do not have to fear death. Why? Because they don't feel the sting of that. They're on the other side. Friend, you and I, that's why we live our life according to the word of God, serving him and laying up treasures on the other side because death is just that gate that you will to go from this side to eternity. Well, I know that we do not have to fear death. Why? Because 
that final judgment when death and hell are cast into that lake of fire and in heaven there is no death. He abolished death and has brought to light, brought life and immortality to light. There cannot be life without Christ. The Bible tells us without Christ, we're spiritually dead. Immortality, there's, this world is, is infatuated with the supernatural and the thought of immortality and all these fairy tales. But friend, immortality through Christ is not a fairy tale. It's a reality. I'm reminded of what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? There's no sting for the immortal. I know people in heaven, as do, do you, and they are in their incorruptible. They are immortal. You and I, we look and we say, well, I've got to make preparations for when I die. But truth of the matter is, for the child of God, that death, as we look at it, is literally the gate. It's the portal, if you will. It's the transferring from from, from corruption to incorruption, we just are beginning our forever life when we pass through death. Why? Because Christ has abolished it when he paid our sin debt. And but faith in him, you and I don't have to fear death. You and I don't have to cringe at the thought of death. Why? Because immortality is what awaits the Christian. That's the power of the gospel according to the power of God. Only God could take something as dreadful as death and make it, truthfully, that's which the child of God ought to anticipate one day in the way that when we run our race, we can look to the other side and we can say, Oh, death, where is that sting? Oh, grave. Where is our victory? I'll elaborate on that in just a moment. I preached on this not too long ago. On this side of eternity, on this side of the death, it stings when somebody we love goes on before us. But when we're reunited with them in our immortal bodies and in our incorruptible, that's when we'll proclaim, O death, where is thy sting? Because they don't feel the sting of death. Because they have passed on to eternity in glory, in immortality. We say this in passing, and this passage bears it out. Oh, those that have gone on before us, those that do the Lord, they're as alive as they've ever been. And that's true, friend. Why? Because death has been abolished and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me say this, and I'll get to number four. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard this before. You know what's bringing this? The light, the gospel. The gospel makes you and I think about our eternity. Everyone under the sound of my voice needs to think about what takes place after death. There's eternal life or there's eternal death. Not meaning that you're in the grave and that's all there is to it. It means you're paying for your sin debt. For all of eternity. But because of what Christ has done, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ brings to light that there's life and immortality available to those that put their faith and trust in God. And then 
With the time I have remaining, I'll mention number four very quickly. We see God's purpose back in verse number nine, who hath saved us. Now watch this next phrase. And called us with an holy calling. God's purpose, salvation brings a holy calling. Positionally, but practically, we are saved and we are saved and it's a holy life we should live. Friend, as a child of God, see, are you ashamed of the testimony of Christ? Are you ashamed of your testimony? We live in a day when we like to say, well, you know, this is, this is 2022. Things are different. Yes, but this book is not. Our standing in Christ is not. And God's, God saved us not to be more wicked. He saved us not to stay, keep going down the same paths. We're to live a holy life. But watch very carefully God's purpose. He calls us. We are consecrated unto Him. Notice what He says, with a holy calling. But what is He referring to in verse number 8? But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Our purpose is a holy calling. We're to be a partaker. What does that mean? Does that mean when we get saved, we're partaking of the gospel? That's not the context. It's true. When we trust Christ, we, we, we receive salvation. But Paul was, had a purpose, and Paul was in prison because he was a partaker of the gospel. What is he saying? We all ought to be a partaker in the spread of the gospel, and then whatever comes with that comes with that. The message I'm preaching this morning is not popular everywhere. The message I'm preaching this morning would not be popular in a lot of churches so-called churches, but it is the truth of the Word of God. Well, if I, I, if I bring this up to my family, I know what's, you're going to be a partaker in the gospel. Paul, we don't have time, but he goes in verse 11 and 12, talks about how he's an apostle, he's a preacher of the gospel, and, and that is his purpose, and that's what he's doing, and you and I, we have a responsibility to be a partaker. That's why it's important for us to, to, to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but not be ashamed of the testimony of what God's done in our own life. If God has saved you, that is something that you ought to be grateful for every single day. That's something you ought to reflect on, what Christ did for you and all that comes with salvation. Because I'm saved, I don't have to fear death. Because I'm saved, I can look forward to immortality. Because I'm saved, I am set apart for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a partaker of the gospel, is to do everything I can so that others might be able to be saved, is to spread the message of salvation, and you and I are to be partakers of the gospel. And even Paul writes, whatever afflictions come with that. Well, if I, if I witness to my family, remember I get branded and they're not going to talk to me. Well, there might be some other advantages of that too, but... It, you're supposed to be a partaker and all that comes with it. Let me conclude with this. I take you back to verse number 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony. The way of conclusion, we've talked so far this morning about the gospel according to the power of God. What all that means is God's provision, is God's plan. It's God's power. It's God's purpose. 
But I want to return back to that thought. Paul speaking of his testimony. Before we conclude the service, I want you to think back to your testimony. Can you remember when you put your faith and trust in Christ? You remember the circumstances around that? You remember the age? You remember how you felt? You remember, was it in a church service similar to this one? Was it at your home? Was there some other situation where you realized you were a sinner? There's a sin debt that had to be accounted for. It was either you pay the sin debt for yourself by suffering through all of eternity or put your faith in what Christ did on Calvary. Can you think back to that? Remember what you were before that? Remember how God changed your life? Remember what God saved you from? Now let me, let me help us this morning. There's someone here who can give a testimony. God saved you out of the gutter. God saved you from a life of being bound by the vices of this world that was keeping you from having joy and peace and fulfillment in your life. But let me say, if you have a testimony like me when I grew up in church, let me say, God saved me from that too. Because he saved me as a child, I, didn't, I, I, I could be safe from experiencing those things. I could be safe from uh, the, the, the vices of this world. And let me just say this morning to the children who are here and who are growing up in church, you don't have to go out in this world to experience the things that God saves you from. Boy, if you've got testimony, some of you do. Hey, I know what I was. I know where I was. I know what was going on in my life. And thanks be to God, when I heard the salvation message and I heard what Christ did, I put my faith and trust and God saved me out of that life. But friend, if you have a testimony of growing up in the church house, God, God saved you out of that as well. Can you go back to that time, that testimony? Think about it for a moment. got a little callous in your Christian life? Are you a partaker of the gospel? Well, if you're honest, then you're not as you should be. Maybe if you dwell a little bit more on your testimony, what actually took place in your life. But if you can return, if you can think back, as I trust that you all have, you can't find a time. You can't find a place when you realized you were a sinner. You realized you were going to hell because of your sins. There had to be an accountability. You can't find a time and realize when you put your faith and trust in Christ, perhaps today is the day of honesty. A day when you have an opportunity to get that settled. By putting your faith and trust in Christ. By conclusion, we think of Paul's testimony. We think of our own testimony, of our own salvation. And I also want to urge us to do what Paul did in writing to Timothy. He didn't just remind him of his own testimony, of the change that God made in him. And by the way, salvation would change this world. 
Salvation will change your home. Salvation will change your marriage, change your eternity, change your future, change all those things. Salvation is what makes a difference. Think of your salvation. Think of your testimony. But I can't think of a better way to conclude this message with thinking of his testimony. His, do you mean Paul? No, I mean Christ. Who is the perfect sin sacrifice for you and I. If I can use a simple, silly illustration to illustrate what Christ has done with us. I can think back, and I've made jokes about it through the years, and I've grown up here, and some of my teachers sit in the audience, those that taught me, and I thank God for allowing me to get revenge through the years and all that sort of thing, and I make jokes about it and just to cover up the pain that I dealt with. I have to joke about it. But there are times when Some may misbehave in a classroom. And there are times when it's like you and you and you out in the hall. And that's when you're like, what's going on? And you get out in the hall and, or wherever, and it's like you look around and it's like, yeah, you're supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be here. We all have that in common. We all got in trouble for what we were doing. But there was occasions when those teachers come in and just that blind rage. You know what I'm talking about. All the boys in the hall, never all the girls in the hall. All the boys in the hall. And you're out in the hall, and if you're honest, you're like, yes, yeah, some of us should be there, but, you know, there's always that one goody two-shoes, that one who's actually got to be doing their work and ruining it for everybody. And they give the explanation, I wasn't involved in this, I didn't do a part, and there have been times when it's just, well, everybody's getting punished. I can go back to football practices, and one guy can't figure out that God gave him two hands to catch a ball with, and so we all got to run. Silly illustration that sometimes somebody who is not guilty gets caught up and punished for the guilt of others. How much more so when our Savior who never sinned, never had a thought that he shouldn't have had, never had an emotion that was out of control, never committed an act, God in the flesh, went to the cross of Calvary and paid our sins so that we could go free. That's his testimony. It wasn't one of those situations where he was forced or compelled and caught up in. He stepped forward and said, I'll pay the sin debt. 
so that man can be reconciled to the Father. This morning as we conclude, think about your testimony. Think about his testimony. And friend, if you're here and you're unsaved, let me tell you the gospel according to the power of God can save your eternity, can forgive you of your sins, can wash your record as white as snow if you'll but put your faith in Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you'll use the message